Good morning, everyone. We're going to try something a little bit different again today. I'm sitting in the library and I'm wearing my most comfortable favorite sweater. And we are going to try to have a little more of an intimate time here together through the word. And just want to make a special greeting to all the mothers out there. Have a blessed Mother's Day. We're thankful for our moms and thankful for you. And we will just be thinking of you throughout the day. A couple of mentions of uh, a special prayer request for just our immediately immediate Grace Chapel family. Gaden Stensing's son, Lise, is going to be having surgery. He, uh, he broke his toe and it became infected. And with the complications of diabetes, it's going to need some surgery. So his name is Lise. So you can pray for Lise. We're thankful that uh, Caleb and uh, Rhonda's daughter-in-law, Caitlin, she had uh, a surgery that she has gone through this past week and things went well, but uh, continue to pray for Caitlin's healing. And then we are praying with and for Tom and Sandy as uh, she is on hospice care now at home and Tom's there taking care of her and uh, just pray for them. And then also uh, our dear Mary Musselman has been battling with uh, an undiagnosed symptoms of high spiking fever, rapid heart rate, and just uh, just want to pray for Mary. It's been it's been several weeks that she's just uh, been dealing with that, and we want to pray for her. So keep her in your prayers. And then just uh, in the midst of all the turmoil with the virus and the knowns and unknowns, just remember that God is on the throne. He's in charge. You bring your worries about the situation to him. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Uh, continue to press into his promises in the word and, and to trust him. And so uh, let me just pray before we begin our sermon then. Father, we just thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness, that you are indeed a good, good father. We're thankful that uh, even in the midst of this crisis in our nation, in the world, that uh, you are still sovereign and good and gracious and available. And you already told us time and time again, if your people who are called by your name would seek your face and pray and humble ourselves, you would heal our land. If we would turn to you in prayer and uh, we're thankful, God, for the invitation. Help us to be responsive and responsible in our lives. And, Lord, we do pray for those who are hurting. We pray that you'd be especially close to Tom and Sandy in, in this time and uh, strengthen them during this difficult season. Bring healing to her body and uh, give her strength for each day. And for Tom, as he cares for his wife, Lord God, fill him with your strength. Let them both know that uh, your presence is there with them and help them to know and understand that the truth of your promise that you would never leave them forsake, forsake them. Lord, give the doctors wisdom as uh, they're trying to figure it out. 
what's going on with uh, Mary Musselman and just the battle she's facing with these fevers, that uh, you would just strengthen her body and get her through this season. And Lord, we're just thankful for each person. Thankful for Caitlin and you giving the doctor's wisdom and the surgery that she's had and the success of that. Just pray that you continue to strengthen her body now as she heals. Lord, this morning as we look into your word, that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word, that uh, you would draw us into an ever-deepening relationship with you, that you would have your way with us, Lord, that we would respond to your invitation, that we would move toward you and not away from you. Father, that we would take the burdens of our own hearts and uh, just bring them to you and know that you are there, that you are faithful to your promises. We just thank you, especially for this letter that Peter wrote to the scattered believers. Help us to learn and give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be spending some time in First Peter over these weeks. We started on Resurrection Sunday with verse 3 and 4 and 5, and now we've moved on. And I want to just uh, kind of recap some of the things that we're learning and make sure that as you – prepare to go through Peter's letter, that you would spend some time reading it. Read through the entire letter. Read through the book of Acts chapter 1 through 12, where it focuses on Peter. Spend some time in the Gospels and just ask yourself, who is Peter? Uh, What has he experienced? What does he know? Where has he been? Who's he been with? and, And why should I listen to him? And why is he writing this letter? And why write the specific things that he's writing in this letter? Can he be trusted? How, how am I like Peter? And how is Peter like me? And how are we different? And you would just find that uh, as you read and study and even as you listen to me uh, preach and teach on Peter, when you begin to ask those deeper questions and investigate who's the man behind the message, who, who is he? You will find that uh, you will become endeared to him. Uh, this guy who boldly uh, reached for his sword when they came to arrest Jesus and uh, was ready to defend Jesus with his life. And within a few minutes, he was denying Jesus in the, courtyard to a young servant girl and just the ebbs and flows of his life the up and down of this uh this fisherman and so let's get into the book again this morning and i want to just take a take you back just quickly and briefly into some of the history we've uh we've knowledge of peter but some things to just quickly review in the gospel of matthew chapter 16 There's only seven verses that separate 
Peter's great declaration where he said, when Jesus was saying, who, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter. And only six and a half verses later, uh, Jesus is explained to them. It says in Matthew 16, 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and that he must be killed. And then Peter takes him aside. It said Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now you got to imagine this is the guy who calms the sea. This is the guy who raises the dead. Peter is rebuking him and wants to correct him. And imagine this when Jesus says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And I'm thinking, that's exactly right. That's just like me. I can go from being a passionate follower of Christ one minute to seemingly just belligerent behavior um, and possibly denying Christ the next minute. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by Peter. I'm encouraged by his struggle. And uh, it's interesting as I come to the book of First Peter, his little letter, First and Second Peter, he wrote these two letters. And he's responsible for probably the gospel of Mark because Mark was his disciple. And Mark probably interviewed Peter for what he's written there. But Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And he has a history of asking questions and being in the middle of things. And I noticed as I was reading through First Peter, five times in the first chapter, he uses the word revealed. And the word revealed means disclosed, discovered, made known, laid open. To reveal means to make something known that was before unknown, something that was concealed and now it's made known. And God has been pleased to reveal his will and his ways to men through his scriptures, through his spirit, through the witness of, of uh, creation. But here's Peter in the first chapter uses the word revealed five times. The act of disclosing to others what was before unknown. The disclosure of communication of truth to mankind by God himself. And we know that God, uh, through the history of the Old Testament, he did it through dreams and prophets and visions and experiences. And here's Peter. He has to understand and learn what's being revealed to him that this Jesus is no ordinary man. And one of the things that took place in, in Luke chapter 5, early on in Peter's connection with Jesus, early on in his experience of learning who Jesus is, we read this story in Luke chapter 5, where it says that one day Jesus was standing by the lake, with a crowd of people around him, he saw at the water's edge two ba boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little for the shore. When he had finished speaking, he sat down and he taught the people. And the verse 4 says, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put down into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So Simon answered him, Master, 
we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats, come help them. <clears throat> and they came and filled the boats so full that they began to seek, sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he saw that and he began to realize he fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus has put down the nets and now the nets are so full and the boats are being filled with fish. They're beginning to sink. They're so full. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. So the revelation that was given to Peter over time was that Jesus is just this ordinary man who called some people to follow him. And then Jesus began to reveal himself to Peter over time. And I'm telling you, revelation can rock your world. There was a time when uh, I had just uh, went and purchased a brand new GPS and I didn't know how to use it. And I had a brand new motor on a boat and I was up in Canada and my friend was driving the boat and I, we were trying to get used to this GPS and it looked like the GPS was telling me, Hey, there's an Island here, but we couldn't see an Island. And I didn't know whether it was telling me the Island was above water or below water. Cause I could see an Island maybe a mile away. And so, um, my friend figured, yeah, I think we're clear. And he starts going and all of a sudden we hit and he flew out of his seat, ended on the floor. And I looked back and his eyes were huge and he's sitting on the floor and I'm going, guess what? That's a revelation. It was just revealed to him that what happens when you hit a rock and, uh, we, made it through. Luckily, there wasn't any permanent damage, but it sure surprised us. But the idea of revelation disclosed information that wasn't known before. And here, Peter, one minute he's declaring that you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. The next minute, Jesus is telling him, get behind me, Satan. You're having the things of man, not the things of God. And so when Peter writes this letter, we can know that he's been through some, some things. Just a quick trip through the book of Acts will tell you. In Acts chapter 2, here's Peter preaching the sermon of Pentecost and explaining to the crowds and preaching fiercely about the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a crippled man. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested and thrown in prison. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who lie to the Holy Spirit, fall dead at Peter's feet. Um, Acts chapter 5, the same chapter, Peter, Peter is walking through the streets and pe people are flocking to him just to get in um, so that Peter's shadow would cast on them. And in Acts chapter 5, Peter's back in jail, released from jail by an angel rearrested by the end of the chapter, preaching fiercely, standing up to the uh, Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision and he goes to Cornelius's house. And again, he's preaching. Acts chapter 12, he's back in jail and he's released by an angel. So this man, Peter, when he's writes some, 
he's writing, he's had some revelations in his life of personally experiencing and walking with Jesus and going from the idea that Jesus was just a man to seeing him fill boats with fish, seeing him calm the storm, seeing him raised from the dead. And so Peter has this revelation. So he uses the word five times in chapter one to know and to, to confirm and affirm to his listeners, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. It's been revealed to me. I remember one time I was mowing the lawn over here and uh, going along a fence line, trying to be careful, but yet trying to hustle along. And unbeknownst to me, there was a stake sticking up out of the ground just enough so that the mower went over it, but not enough so that it wouldn't hit the blade. And let me tell you, if you've ever been mowing and you hit a rock or you hit a, a stake like I hit, bam, and that <laughs> that's revealed. That's a revelation. And so one of the things that happened to me this past week as I was studying Peter, I, I had a burden on my heart that there's something that I was missing from the beginning, something that I was missing in the introduction to the letter. And it dawned on me that as I read through the introduction again, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the fallen knowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. I noticed something I missed before. Right in the introduction of the letter is the Trinity. God the Father, his foreknowledge. God the Holy Spirit, his sanctifying work. And God the Son, his blood, his precious blood spilt um, for our cleansing. And so also this word chosen just jumped off the page to me again. And I'm thinking, okay, Peter knows what it's like to be chosen in a sense. And the, the word chosen, it just means this. It just means selected. It means it means picked. And Peter was picked. He was chosen. And he's recognizing that he is one of God's people. And he's writing to God's people who have been scattered. They're scattered, but they're chosen. Nero didn't want them, but God had chosen them. Think about what that means. I mentioned last week, I know what it's like to be in a group of people waiting for the captain to pick you for the team. And you're being the last one that was available standing there and you're not chosen and you're not picked. You just have to be on a team because they recognize, well, the teacher's standing over there watching the process. So, well, you got to take Conger because he's the last one there. And he wasn't chosen, but guess what? By default, he's on your team. But Peter knows what that's like. Peter's been there. He's been an outcast. And when he uses the word chosen, he uses the word chosen five times in the first chapter and a half. Um, three times in chapter two in the beginning and two times in chapter one. And when he uses the word chosen, he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about the people. And so scattered and chosen are in the same sentence. And I asked myself some questions this week. What would happen in the life of a person if they didn't know that they were chosen? 
if, if Nero rejected them and they're driven from their homes and they didn't know that they were chosen, and yet Peter says that Jesus was the cornerstone, the capstone, rejected by men. And these people were scattered and rejected by Nero, but not rejected by God. And if you don't know that you're chosen, you wouldn't participate. You wouldn't participate with all that you could. You wouldn't participate with all that you should. You, your energy would be not all in if you're just left. But to be chosen means to participate. And it has a sense with it, this word chosen has a sense with it of duty, of responsibility, of commissioning, of engagement. And I looked up those words this week and I, as I was just thinking about this. If you don't know that you're chosen, you wouldn't play your part that is your part on the team with the same type of energy or tenacity or even willfulness. And if you don't know you're chosen, you wouldn't properly prepare for your part either. And so I think we can trust that Peter knows what he's telling these people when in the same sentence he uses the word scattered, meaning Nero rejected you, but the word chosen, that you have been chosen by God's foreknowledge. The very one who chose the son, who was rejected by men, but chosen by God, so you're in good company if you have this. And and be careful by chosen that you don't confuse it with today's slap happy, silly idea of being chosen, meaning that person is special. And when we use the word special today, it implies that they don't have to participate. Oh, they're special. They don't have to do the work. Oh, they're special. They 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 um they get by without having to be responsible. No. The word chosen brings along with it the idea of duty, obligation, responsibility. Here's the word duty, that which a person owes to another, that which a person is bound by, by any natural, moral, or legal obligation. And this is the same Jesus that Peter's referring to that we've been chosen by, the foreknowledge of God. Jesus said to his disciples in John, um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. So the chosen ones are the seed, they're the same ones that are then the seeds that are scattered by Nero. Nero wants to scatter them and reject them, and God is sending them out as chosen ones. And the, more about the word duty. Obedience to the laws is a duty of every citizen. Obedience and respect and kindness to parents are the duties of children. Fidelity to friends and family is a duty. Fidelity to one's brothers and sisters is a duty. Faithfulness and fidelity to one's spouse is a duty. Reverence, obedience, worship, and prayer to God are indispensable duties. One's obligation, that which is expected from someone, is a duty. And so when Peter uses the word chosen, he's trying to help them understand, listen, you've been scattered and rejected by Nero indeed. The world doesn't want you. 
But God has chosen you, and in that choosing, there's an obligation and a duty. The word obligation, the binding power of a vow, a promise, or oath, or a contract, that which constitutes legal or moral duty. The laws and commands of God impose on us an obligation to love him supremely and our, love our neighbors at our, as ourselves. Every citizen is under obligation to obey the laws of the land, but this obligation in, in the fact of being chosen. I'm thinking about you young people. What if you don't know? What if you haven't investigated? What if you haven't spent enough time in scripture yet and you haven't spent enough time in prayer yet? to know that you are chosen by God. Maybe you feel rejected right now, rejected by the school, rejected by uh, the community, rejected by your parents, rejected by your friends, and you're quietly going through this battle and trying to understand where your place is. Read the scriptures again. This word that Peter's writing, he's a, he's a person who walked with Jesus. We can trust his words. He's writing, and he says, to you who have been scattered, you're also the ones who've been chosen by God. God knows your name. It says he knows every hair on your head. And that sense of obligation comes from a sense of recognizing because you know the promises of God. You spend time with them. If, if you don't sense that, you won't participate the way that you could in the way that you should participate. You need to ask yourself, do I know that I'm God's? Do I know that I've been chosen by God? And what have I been chosen for? I have a duty. I have an obligation. I have a responsibility to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So as I read this letter that Peter wrote and the promises that are in there, I realize that um, what he says, that you're going to suffer. But to remember that the trials are temporary. The trials are necessary. The trials are faith formers. And as, as we read last week, that uh, we're going to go through these trials. They're going to go through struggles, but they're faith formers. And the result is they end in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And there's one of those uses of the word revealed. And uh, he is trying to communicate to them that in their rejection from Nero, they have an acceptance from God and they have an acceptance from God that comes with a duty and a responsibility to go and to share the hope that they've been given to go and to, to tell people about this great God, about this new birth, about this great salvation, about the living hope and to go and declare it. And so I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of us that we would get a fresh sense as we go through Peter's letter, that we get a fresh sense of the revelation of God, that he has called us, that we are the ecclesia, the chosen ones. And that, that doesn't come in a sense that, okay, I'm better than somebody else because God chose me. No, it means I have a duty and I have an obligation. I have a responsibility to everyone who is yet to know that they're chosen by God. Because the Bible says, whosoever, and the call is that God wants no one to perish. He wants no one not to know him. He declares his glory night and day from all of creation cries out so that people would know him. 
And as we go through this letter to Peter, it's going to challenge us. It's, it's a letter not only to those who are scattered and those who are chosen, but those who are to be warriors, to know that they have a duty, to know that they have an obligation to live a holy life. Peter says there, be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And he tells us to gird up our minds, to, to be self-controlled. Five times he uses the word self-controlled in this little letter. And this is just kind of a, a sweeping, again, an introduction as we, we enter into all that uh, Peter has to tell us. But just to know that he can be trusted because he himself has been tested. And he himself came through the test. And he comes out the other side. And people are amazed. And the Pharisees are saying there in chapter four of Acts, they go, they're amazed at the courage of Peter. And they find out that these are unschooled, ordinary men, but they recognize that, that they've been with Jesus. And our question, my question for you, have you been with Jesus? Where are you at today in your walk with him? And we get to the, the two verses I want to just kind of wrap up with today in first peter chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls and peter's just acknowledging i know that you people have not seen him with your physical eye but you still love him and you still believe in him and through loving him and believing him you are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy and that's an interesting phrase there inexpressible it just said that words cannot define words cannot describe the relationship of joy between a person and his lord as they Enjoy fellowship together as we learn about Jesus and as he fills us with his Holy Spirit as we abide in him. And the Holy Spirit teaches us more of who Jesus is. And as we get to know um, Jesus by the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we seek him through faith. And he's so Peter's telling them about themselves. And it's interesting. I'm sure some of these people, Peter's never even met, but he knows if they have a sense that they're chosen, if they have this sense that the, that the God of the universe is their God and that they've been um, born again by the gift of the Holy Spirit into a living hope. And they're recognizing that this inheritance they have in Christ through faith in Christ is kept for them by Christ in heaven. And they, they, they recognize that these trials that they're going to go through are just temporary. And he's telling them that there's a because of your love for him, because of your trust in him, there's going to be partnered with that in the midst of struggles. Unexplainably, there's going to be a joy. And this phrase, inexpressible and glorious joy, comes not just with facts. It comes with feelings and emotions. It comes with power. And it's impossible 
to walk intimately in fellowship with Jesus and growing fellowship with Jesus and not have this sense. It seems to me that Peter's declaring this would be the case of any ordinary Christian. This should be the case of a Christian, that they're born into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. They're chosen because of the foreknowledge of God. They have this inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, and that results in a refining of their faith that during the time of trials, tribulations, even though their grief and the distress is real, there's a joy that's inexpressible and glorious because they're receiving the goal of their faith, which is the salvation of their souls. And so we just ask the question, is it possible that there's a, there's a joy here that Peter's speaking about that you and I could be missing out on if we're not spending intimate time with Jesus, if we're not in his word, if we're not in prayer, if we're not practicing obedience, and that just means Basically, taking Jesus at his word. He said, go and serve and love. Go and serve and love people. And if it doesn't result in praise and thanksgiving and gratitude and worship, it seems to me that Peter would be talking about something and someone other than that person who was knowing and growing in intimacy with Jesus because the result would be Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy. Are you filled or, or are you empty? And you need to be asking these questions. Who's writing this? A man who walked with Jesus. A man who history says was willing to be crucified upside down because of his love for Jesus. A man who denied Jesus. A man who was willing to fight for Jesus and a man that can be trusted. And it's his revelation that God revealed to him and he's delivering and declaring to us and to these people here. So are you filled or are you empty? Are you abiding or are you neglecting? Are you spending time with him? Are you, or are you staying away from him and straying away from him? I think there's an obligation there that Peter is stressing on them. Listen, God laid down his son's life for you. And he's given and shed his blood for you. What's your response to him? As a chosen one, your response to him is to take up that mantle of being a servant, being a dutiful son and daughter of the king who's going to walk out our obligation of joy and fellowship and the enrichment of the life that is beyond words. It's indescribable, inexpressible that Peter says, and so I just want to leave you with those thoughts today that Peter knows what he's saying. 
when he's saying that you're scattered and you're rejected, but you're also chosen in the midst of that, in the same sentence. And uh, so I would just encourage you, get into this word and let the word get into you. Spend time with it. Ask questions of it. Search them. Take all the questions and the doubts that you have and bring them there and wrestle with them, knowing that the guy who wrote this letter is the same guy who Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in things in your heart the things of God or in your mind the thoughts of God. You have the thoughts of man. And Peter must have, it just must have just um, stirred him as he wrestled with that. How could I be um, wanting to defend Jesus with a sword one minute and deny him the next minute? He knows what it's like to be going through trials and tribulations and struggles. He knows what it's like. And he's talking to us and declaring to us a God who knows what it's like. Jesus was rejected by men, but accepted by God. And so as we move into understanding what it means to be chosen by God, that we have this new birth into a living hope that's kept for us, that cannot um, fade or spoil, that we will recognize that through the refining fires, that even though we don't see him now, we can still believe in him. And even though we don't um, have him in a physical way in our presence, he's revealed himself through his spirit and through his promises and through, in a sense, his spiritual presence with us, that we can be filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. And I hope that you know that joy this morning. And if you don't know that joy, it can be yours. Seek God's face. Ask him if you're empty. Ask him why you're empty. If you've tried all these things in the world that can only fill, there's a void in every person's heart until it's filled with only what can be filled with, what it's designed for. And that's a relationship with the living God. So I invite you. If if this if you were reading this letter as if you were this person that Peter's writing to, and it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You'd have to ask the question, do you love him? Do you believe in him? And are you filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy? And you because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I would encourage you. As we go through this book, dig deep, spend time there, pray, ask God for the revelation he has for you so that you would know that you would know that you would know that you are his. And that in knowing that, your, your sense and privilege of having someone to obey, having someone to belong to, having someone who has a duty and responsibility for you to walk in in cooperation and submission and obedience to him will add such meaning and purpose and responsibility to your life. You will be find yourself being changed as you walk with him in response in this relationship. So let it be said of us that we're filled with this living hope 
that we're drinking deeply from the well that is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness. And Lord, I just pray that you would take these words of mine, this attempt to point toward you, that you would use it in the lives of whoever's listening, God. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts as only you can to confirm their calling, to confirm that you love them, Lord, to confirm that you are willing and ready to forgive any of their sins, any of their foolishness, any of any of our foolishnesses, Lord, and that you want to reveal yourself to us in an ongoing way. And you want to help us grow up into who we can be and who we ought to be as people who are called by your name. We're thankful, God, that we indeed are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful, marvelous light. In Jesus' precious name, amen.